Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Just a few announcements for you. Uh, number one, any uh, teenagers here, today's the day for your deposit for Ridgehaven. You can make that check out to the church and just in the memo line, put youth-ridgehaven and drop that off in the plate on your way out. Um, and then, obviously, you've seen some damage around our church property. You know we've got uh, two trees down, or I guess maybe a tree and a half down, uh, since this one's split over here. But uh, on Saturday, we're going to be having a church work day here from 8 to 12. Uh, we've got somebody bringing a tractor. We've got chainsaws coming. And so if you're able to come and help us cut these trees up and get them moved out to the road, that would be very helpful. Uh, while the adults work here, I'm taking the students over to Miss Merlene Holman's house. Uh, she's got some damage over at her place, just kind of light stuff, and she asked if we could bring some folks out, and so I thought that would be a great opportunity to get our students involved out there. And so uh, if parents are able to stay here and work, students will be going over there and working at the same time, and we should be done in just a couple hours and back here to kind of help finish things up here. But that'll be 8 to 12 here Saturday morning. Uh, we'll have Jack's Biscuits here, and we'll get started promptly at 8. So if you have any equipment you can bring, we'll need some hedge trimmers from Miss Merlene's house chainsaws, pole saws here, rakes, all that good stuff. We'd love the help if you're able to come out. Um, but that's all the announcements we have for you. And so with that being said, let's just take a few moments and silently prepare our hearts for worship and spend a few moments in prayer. Then I'll lead us in a corporate prayer and call to worship. Let's pray. O creator and redeemer God, author of all existence, source of all blessedness, we adore you for making us capable of knowing you, for giving us reason and conscience, for leading us to desire you. We praise you for the revelation of yourself and the gospel, for your heart as a dwelling place of pity, for your thoughts of peace towards us for your patience and your graciousness, for the vastness of your mercy. You have moved our conscience to know how the guilty can be pardoned, the unholy sanctified, the poor enriched. May we be always among those who not only hear you, but know you, who walk with and rejoice in you, who take you at your word and find life there. Keep us always longing for a present salvation in Holy Spirit comfort and rejoicings, for your spiritual graces and blessings, for help to value our, our duties as well as our privileges. May we cherish simplicity and godly sincerity of character. Help us to be in reality before you as in appearance we are before each other be religious before we profess religion, to leave the world before we enter the church, to set our affections on things above, to shun forbidden follies and vanities, to be a dispenser as well as a partaker of grace, to be prepared to bear evil as well as to do good. 
Oh God and Father, make us worthy of this calling. That the name of Jesus may be glorified in us as we are in him. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Church, let's rise and be called into worship together. Call to worship comes from, from Isaiah 52. I'll read the part that says leader. If you'll respond where it says congregation. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Good morning.
Bind us together, bring shalom. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. You can be seated. Good morning. Uh, just as God calls us to worship, so he also calls us to confess our sin. Uh, this morning, our call to confession comes from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 21. There's Samuel's words to the people of Israel uh, as they were choosing a, a new king. He said, do not turn aside after empty things. Uh, that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. That word for empty uh, is the same word that we use for vain or useless. And it, it's the way that the Bible talks about other gods, not the true and living God. And it's interesting that he doesn't just call them false, but he calls them empty. He calls them useless. Uh, and he calls them useless because... Well, they can't do anything, right? Uh, that we, uh, we by, our, by our nature, have a tendency to cling to and trust in things that actually will do us no good. Uh, it's called idolatry. Uh, and it's at, the, it's at the very heart of sin. That we look at the living God and we say, no, thank you. I'll do this on my own. And we place our trust, we rest ourselves in things that cannot benefit us. In fact, that if we do so repeatedly, will actually bring us great harm. Uh, and so uh, God calls us to turn away from doing that. And that's what, that's what we're going to do now. So I want you to ask the Holy Spirit as we, uh, as we pray. Uh, we're going to begin with a time of silent prayer, individual prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what are the things that you're trusting in. What are those vain uh, empty things that cannot profit or deliver. And then I'll lead us in a prayer together. Let's pray. Our God and our King, ever since the garden, ever since our first parents took that fruit and ate it, we have fallen for pseudo-saviors, things, things and people that look promising and they offer much, just like the serpent offered much to Adam and Eve. And yet, the end result is death. Not just
not just physical death, spiritual death, death in relationships. Lord, we are a needy people. Instead of seeing our folly, we just manufacture more. As Calvin says, we are, our hearts are idle factories. And so, holy God, would you expose us? Would you reveal to us those empty things that cannot profit us, that will not deliver us? And God, would you help us to turn from them to you, the true and living God, in whom there is profit, in whom there is joy, in whom there is satisfaction, in whom there is rescue, salvation. May we not hesitate to leave off those things that hinder us and cling desperately to the life that you provide in your son, Jesus. We pray it in his matchless name. Amen. Hear God's offer of forgiveness from Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Amen. Let's stand and sing in rejoicing. Come ye souls by sin afflicted, bowed with fruitless sorrows down by the broken law convicted through the cross behold the crown. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, mercy flows through him alone. Take his easy yoke and wear it love will make your obedience sweet christ will give you strength to bear it while his grace shall guide your feet 
Save to glory, save to glory, save to glory, where his ransom captives meet. Blessed are thee, eyes that see him. Bless the ears that hear his voice. Blessed are the souls that trust him. And in him alone rejoice. His commandment Did that last time. <laughs> Debbie's looking at me like, sorry, everybody. That's correct. <laughs> like she's willing me to take the capo off. From the ends of the earth. Depths of the sea, from the heights of the heavens, your name be praised. From the hearts of the weak, from the shouts of the strong, from the lips of all people, this song we Lord, throughout the endless ages, you will be crowned with praises, Lord, most high. 
exalted in every nation, sovereign of all creation, Lord, most high be magnified. From the ends of the earth, from the depths of the sea, from the heights of the heavens, your name be praised. From the hearts of the weak, from the shouts of the strong, from the lips of all people, this song we raise, Lord, throughout the endless ages, you will be crowned with praises, Lord, most high, exalted in every nation. Sovereign of all creation, Lord, most high be magnified. Throughout the endless ages, you will be crowned with praises, Lord, most high, exalted in every nation, sovereign of all creation, Lord, most high, Lord, most high, Lord, most high, be magnified. So uh, we have a special opportunity uh, during our prayer time this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite Heath and Emily Beasley to come up, and as well as our uh, elders and Zach. Um, we're going to lay hands on them, uh, and we're going to do so because Heath is being deployed with the Army Reserves uh, for a year starting uh, next Sunday, leaving out next Sunday. And so we wanted to... Uh, lay hands on them and pray for them uh, during this season. Uh, just as a reminder, right, this is, this is a solemn uh, privilege that we have as the body of faith, uh, as their secondary family, as it were, to gather around them. So let's, uh, let's pray together. God, we, uh, we rejoice and exclaim that you are indeed the Lord Most High. Uh, and that throughout the endless ages, you will be crowned with praises. Lord, that you will be exalted and magnified. So God, we pray that you would do that in the lives of Heath and Emily Beasley. Lord, that you would glorify yourself in them, uh, especially over the next year. Lord, that you would go with Heath. God, that you would be his strength and his shield. Father, we pray that you would keep him uh, from harm's way, 
Uh, Lord, yet we know that, uh, that such is the life of a soldier. And so, God, we pray that you would surround him all about, Lord, that uh, as he goes and does uh, what he has been training to do, uh, and as he does so, that he would serve in the strength that you provide. Lord, that he would look to you as his rock and as his redeemer. Father, we pray for Emily uh, as she waits for him here at home. God, we pray that you would be her strength and shield as well, that you would be her provider. Lord, that you would use us as their church to surround her, to look out for her, to take care of her in the absence of her husband. And God, we pray that at the end of a year's time, uh, that you would be pleased to bring them back together. God, that you would use this time to draw them both closer to you and to mold and shape them in your image. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. All right. Uh, you would turn with me to Acts chapter 14 if you've got a Bible. Acts chapter 14. We've been studying the, the book of Acts together, this history of the growth of the early church, how these early followers of Jesus took uh, the good news of Jesus into the world. And what we're going to see is that the rest of the book of Acts will primarily focus on just one. Well, we'll focus primarily on one of those followers. His name is Paul. Uh, we've already met him. We've talked about him. He and his friend Barnabas are on their first missionary road trip uh, around the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and we're going to pick up their story in Acts chapter 14 and read verses 1 through 18. Now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to proclaim the good news. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet he was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, 
they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in it. God, we pray that you would bless your word, that, you would, that it would come with power to our hearts, and that we would be transformed by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to, uh, to mention a, a new book we've got out on the resource table, particularly uh, if you have younger children, uh, that I think there's a lot of benefit here for uh, other families as well. It's called God Made Me for Worship, Helping Children Understand Church. And, uh, and if you view church as basically, you know, a whole lot of singing with some speaking thrown in, then this book will provide some helpful guidance for you. In fact, this book uh, will tell you the same thing that our bulletin tells you. So if you grabbed one of these and you flipped it open, you'll notice that on the inside, there are little notes in the margin that describe different parts of our worship service. And the, 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 reason, that we, uh, the reason that we worship in the way that we do. Uh, and that's because, I don't know about you, but I always need to be reminded. I need, I need a weekly, really, I need a daily reminder of what God has done in my life. But when, we, but when we gather together, what we're doing is we are reminding ourselves what God has done, right? I need, I need reminding of the core truths of the Christian story that, that God is good and holy and perfect. And that I am not good and holy and perfect. I am sinful uh, and I am separated from God and that I need someone to rescue me out of my sin, and that's what God has done in the person of his son, Jesus. And not only that, not only has God rescued me from my sin, but by the power of his Holy Spirit, he enables me to faithfully follow Jesus and to do his will, right? I need reminding of those things. I need them every day, but I certainly need it every week. So that's what we do in worship, and that's what that book talks about. And so I encourage you, pick it up. I think they're $10.00. Uh, if you've got kids, or if you just want to, if you want, a, you know, some of us, we need things to be simply explained to us. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's me. So if that's you, uh, gra- grab a hold of that book. They're out there on the resource table. <clears throat> but that leads us to a good question that kind of opens up what, ha- what we see happening in this passage. And, and this is the question. How do you see yourself? What are, the, what are the words that you would use to describe you? Uh, what are, the, what are the, the words, maybe just one or two, that describe your identity? What, what sits at the core of who you are? And I wonder, is any of those words, are any of those words, uh, the word 
worshiper. Does the label of worshiper sit at the, the heart of how you would define yourself as a worshiper? Because the Bible has this kind of startling message. Uh, and it says that everyone, whether you believe in the God of the Bible or whether you're an agnostic or atheist or um, Muslim, the Bible says that everyone is in fact a worshiper, that every single one of us uh, is built to love and to serve someone or something, that it is in a sense the the key in the lock, so to speak. It's the hole in each one of us that, that we are made to worship, and we will worship. I've quoted it often, and I'll quote it again. Bob Dylan saying, you're going to serve somebody. Yes, you're always going to serve somebody. Right? We, are, we are made to worship. We are made to love and to serve and to give our lives to something or someone. And in fact, you may be loving and serving many someones or many somethings. But as a human, you will worship. Something or someone has your heart. Something or someone has your loyalty. You and I are seeking ultimate satisfaction from something, from someone. And that's what Paul confronts when he comes to Lystra. Uh, today we're going to see Paul in a very different environment than he has been in. Up to this point, and actually in the first seven verses, uh, it's a very familiar scene. As I read what happens to Paul and Barnabas in Iconium, uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, hopefully that sounded familiar because it's exactly the same thing that happened to them in Antioch. Uh, they go to the Jewish synagogue, they proclaim the gospel, people respond both positively and negatively, and then they move on. But when Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra, they're now talking to a very different crowd. They're no longer in the synagogue, now they're in the, the town square. And they're not talking to well-educated, uh, biblically informed Jews and Greeks. They're now speaking to common, semi-literate pagans. And I use that word pagan not in a derogatory or insulting sense, but simply to define, describe um, people who didn't worship the God of the Bible, right? Uh, that's how I'm using the word pagan. Uh, so how do you speak to a crowd like that? How does Paul bring this message about Jesus to people who don't share uh, his common understanding of the scriptures? That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about what happened at Iconium and just make some observations about that. And then we're going to focus the rest of our time on Lystra and see how Paul and Barnabas uh, did the work of the gospel there. So let's look at those first seven verses and what happens in the city of Iconium. Um, again, very similar to what's already happened to, to what we've seen before, so I won't cover a lot of the same territory. But um, they go to the Jewish synagogue, the, the worshiping place of the Jews, because they're Jewish, and they're going to start with people... Uh, who they know or people who will understand them, people who share the same biblical foundation, right? People who would have uh, had the old, what we call the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures. And they proclaim Jesus from that Old Testament, from the Hebrew scriptures. And just like has happened before, many believe and begin following Jesus, and then many do not. And, this, and theirs, is not, uh, theirs is not an indifference to the gospel. 
Theirs is actually a hostility to the gospel. Again, we see that, that, that the gospel, the true, pure gospel, uh, it usually doesn't generate apathy. It either generates approval or stiff opposition. And that's what they face in Lystra. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice their response to opposition in verse chapter, or excuse me, in verse 3. Right? When it says uh, in verse 2 that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, it says, so they remained for a long time. Now that doesn't really, that doesn't seem logical to me. That doesn't really fit. Right? I mean, I mean how do you feel uh, when people are saying unkind, untrue things about you? Right? If, people are, if people are stirring up a whole city against you, to oppose you. Do you, like, want to hang around for that? I wouldn't. And yet, Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that it wasn't in spite of the opposition that they stayed. Rather, it was because of the opposition that they stayed. They remained longer because they were being opposed, which is remarkable. Now, Luke doesn't tell us why, and we can probably come up with a few good reasons. Maybe they didn't want, maybe they wanted the truth to have the last word, right? They, they knew that the unbelieving Jews and Gentiles were saying things that weren't true. And so they wanted to stay there and keep preaching the truth as long as they could. That would be a good reason. Um, they may have stayed to try to bolster and strengthen the church, right? These uh, people had believed. There were some new believers and Paul and Barnabas would eventually be leaving, and so these people would live in a hostile environment. And so Paul and Barnabas, maybe they stayed to make sure that these brothers and sisters would be built up and rooted deep in the gospel. We don't really know. But what we do know is that they were undaunted by the opposition. When, when people came against them, that did not make them back down. In fact, they continued to proclaim the word boldly, is what Luke says. They continued to speak boldly. And that reminds us, that, uh, again, of a core truth, and we see it again and again in Acts. We can expect opposition to the gospel, but we ought not back down from proclaiming the gospel. That we can, be, that we can persevere. And we can persevere in the strength that God supplies. Just because we are being opposed, just because people don't like what we have to say, that's no reason to stop saying it. In fact, who knows how God will use your perseverance. Uh, but then they do find out that uh, basically a mob is gathering that wants to lynch them, stone them, execute mob justice. And so, uh, and so they leave that city and they head out into the surrounding towns and regions and the first place they go is Lystra and again this is the place where I mentioned that uh, we're this is really the first time uh, that the gospel is going to people with no scriptural basis uh, who don't even have a common knowledge so what what does Paul do to reach those people. What can we learn from Paul in this? And the, the first thing uh, that I want to point out is that he uses deeds of grace to confirm the word of grace. And actually, this 
It's not the first time this has happened. It happens in Iconium. It happened in Jerusalem. It happened in Jesus' life. But look, at, look in verse 3 real quick. As they remained in Iconium to speak the word boldly, we're told that the Lord uh, bore witness to the word of his grace by granting them signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So in order to confirm the authority of their message, God gives them miracles. God allows them, empowers them to do miraculous things to confirm the truth of what they're saying. Miracles go with the word, right? And then we see that happening uh, in Lystra as well. Look at verse 8. The first thing we hear about this, little, this town is that there's a, a man sitting there, probably in the town square because he lived on the charity of others, uh, a man who could not use his feet. He had been crippled from birth and had never, <clears throat> never walked. That's a pretty desperate hopeless situation. We're not talking about a mild disability here. In fact, you may uh, know or have seen someone like this. Of course, now we have wheelchairs, but a person sitting in a wheelchair, but you can tell that their legs have, have never been used and never could be used, right? They're all skin and, and bone, no muscle to speak of. It would be a, a great cruelty to pick that person up and try to set them on their feet because their, their feeble legs would not be able to support their weight. Right? That's, the, that's the position that this man is in. Um, and we see that he's listening. Uh, he's in the town square as Paul is, is uh, speaking about Jesus. And it says that Paul looks at him, looks at him intently, stares at him, and sees that he has faith to be made well. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it was that Paul saw, right? We, we know that faith is analogous or is, is equal to trust. To have faith in someone is to trust them. And in the biblical sense, faith is, is the open hand that receives the promise of the gospel, uh, faith is the means by which, right? It's our, it's our sitting down in the chair. It's the means by which we lay hold of what Jesus has done. So there's something in this man's face, something in this man's eyes that Paul sees and says, he's got it. He has faith. You know, I don't know what that looks like. But Paul capitalizes on that moment, and he does a miracle. Now, uh, you probably have seen uh, a small child learning how to walk. Uh, there's usually lots of tripping uh, and stumbling and falling, right? As this, as this little human uh, learns how to use her legs, right? As those muscles develop and as the, the brain uh, learns to send signals that make those new muscles do what they're supposed to do and the the inner ear balances everything out, right? All of that kind of has to come together in order for a person to walk. Well, look at what happens in this man's life. Paul looks at him, verse 9, sees that he has faith to be made well, and then says in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And what happens? He jumps. 
You ever seen a, a child learning to walk jump? No. Right? Because they, they're not able to do that yet. Right? That, that requires even more muscular development and coordination. But in speaking a word, Paul doesn't even touch the man. He simply speaks. And God gives the man the ability to jump up and walk like that. Right? A miracle indeed. And a miracle that went with what Paul was saying, right? Paul, uh, we don't know what Paul's message was. We don't know what he was speaking about. But we know that, that miracles confirm the word and that Jesus came to set things right, right? We were not made to be crippled. We were not made to be disabled. We were not made to be injured. That is a result of the fall. But Jesus has come to undo the curse of the fall. And so when Paul heals this man, he is giving a visible demonstration of the gospel that Jesus brings. He is showing those people what it looks like to have Jesus come and set things right. So what do, what do we do with this? First, uh, we should say, right, that, that point needs to be made, right? That miracles confirm the word, that they go together. Miracles in the Bible are not magic tricks. They're not isolated magic tricks that just kind of happen on their own. They're not designed to attract or to wow people. They're designed to point to the message. They're designed to point to the message about Jesus. They confirm the word. That's what Jesus said in John's gospel when he was repeatedly challenged by the Pharisees. He would say, hey, the works that I'm doing bear witness about me. If you don't know where I'm from, if you have doubts about what I'm saying, just look at the works that I'm doing. Look at the signs and wonders. Look at the miracles. The miracles affirm and attest to the message. And so they're meant to go together. We're not meant to seek miracles. We're meant to seek Jesus and his message. But then the second thing, a second thing we might say about this, that we might do with this, uh, is that Miracles really don't happen all the time. You might be inclined to think that when you read the Bible, there's just miracles left and right. But really, when you look at the timeline of the Bible, miracles happen in clusters. And they usually cluster around something God is doing, right? Something new that God is doing. So you have a lot of clusters of miracles around Moses and God's saving of Israel from Egypt. When you look at the New Testament, you see miracles clustered around Jesus because Jesus is bringing the kingdom and he's doing miracles that evidence the kingdom, healing blind people, restore, uh, healing lame people, restoring sight, casting out demons, right? Um, and then his, that first generation of followers, as they took the gospel into new territory, they were doing miracles, right? So miracles tend to go with God breaking new ground, God doing something new. Now, that doesn't mean that miracles don't happen anymore, but that may explain why we don't see them as often, right? The gospel has kind of come into this territory, and there may be yet a day when we see them more. So if, if we can't do miracles, uh, or sh I don't know, should we seek to do miracles, but if, if we're not going to do miracles, then, then what can we learn with this? Once you notice that the, that the miracles in the Bible are actually 
deeds of mercy, right? Paul doesn't pull a rabbit out of a hat or saw a woman in two. He heals a man who otherwise could not be healed. Uh, So this tells us that even if we can't do miracles, we can do good works and should do good works that point people to Jesus. Deeds of mercy point to the message of mercy. Works of grace point to the word of grace. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but what are some ways in which you can exhibit the new reality of Jesus playing out in your life? Is it serving someone who cannot return the favor? Maybe it's hospitality of bringing people into your home. By the way, not entertaining. That would mean you have to clean everything up and get all the laundry put away. We know that's not going to happen. So just go ahead and bring them on in anyway, right? Hospitality. Uh, just sharing what you have with others. Generosity. Um, again, works of grace that go with words of grace. We may not be able to do miracles, but we can do good works that point people to Jesus. And then the next thing that Paul does, and this will be our last point, uh, since he's in a place where these people don't know the Bible, they don't know the scriptures. He has to find a connection point with where they are. He has to find some common ground. Uh, and he finds it uh, actually in a pretty unlikely way. You'll notice uh, when, he, when he heals this man, uh, he gets a response that he didn't really expect. They start worshiping, but they don't start worshiping Jesus. They start worshiping him, right? Uh, Paul accidentally... Uh, Somehow, Paul accidentally, in their frame, puts, puts the attention on himself. He doesn't do it intentionally, but that's what the people do, right? As soon as they see this man who they've known for a long time to be completely crippled, he jumps up and starts walking around. They say, the gods are here. They've come down in human form. That one must be Zeus, and that one must be Hermes, because he talks a lot, right? And, and they go, and, and, the, and the priest of Zeus goes and grabs one of the oxen, grabs a, a wreath, and They're bringing it to the city gate to sacrifice it. And, of course, all of this is happening, Luke tells us, in Lyconian in the local dialect. So it takes a minute for Paul and Barnabas to realize what's going on. But when they realize that these people are coming to worship them, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. We are are not gods in human form. We We are men of like nature with you, right? We are the same as you are. Now, Their response is uh, understandable. The poet Ovid uh, tells a legend about this. There's a a legend about this region that at some point uh, Zeus and Hermes did come down in human form uh, looking for hospitality. uh, And they were denied by a thousand people before an elderly couple uh, welcomed them into their home. And the response of Zeus and Hermes was to bless that elderly couple and then kill everyone else in a major flood. And so if that's your background, right, you can imagine that once the people think that this is Zeus and Hermes, they're like, okay, that's not happening to us. We are going to appropriately worship them, right? So that's, that's where they're coming from. Uh, but so Paul and Barnabas, they, they push back, right? They say, no, 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 we're just, we're just men. We've actually come to bring you good news. Now, they don't quote the Old Testament, um, They don't bring a message from the Bible, which these people wouldn't have understand. They start with something else. They start with what we call common grace. 
common grace. So, so scripture contains what we call special grace, where God reveals himself in Jesus and in the word. Common grace are those ways in which God works for everyone in every way, right? Look at, uh, look at verse 17. Actually, look at verse 16. Paul says to this crowd, In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, but he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Earlier he calls uh, God the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. What's Paul doing? He's finding a point of connection. He's saying, okay, they don't believe my Bible. They don't have my Bible. So how can I connect with them? They have rain. They have harvest. They have food. They see the sky. They see the earth. Everything. I know that God made all these things, so that's our connection. We're going to start right there. He draws the connection that they have in common, that there is a God who has made all these things, that the God who gave them good things that they enjoy actually came from God. Paul says he's been testifying to you through the sun and the rain and food and joy. And then he issues this gospel call, right? He actually issues it up in, uh, in verse 15. He says, we are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Vain. It's a word we talked about earlier from 1 Samuel. Empty. Useless. Now, I want you to, I want you to hear how offensive that is. Paul just told these people that their ordinary lives are useless, are empty. That doesn't usually come across like that. doesn't seem like a good way to win friends and influence people, right? They, I mean, their, their regular practice would have been to worship Zeus. That's what they did. And Paul says, that's useless. Stop doing it, right? He looks at their normal way of life and says, that's empty. Turn away from it. But then I also want you to hear the promise in that. And it's more implicit than explicit. We don't know... Uh, Paul probably already talked about Jesus again. We don't have a sermon here from him. We don't know exactly what he said. But if he's telling them to turn from something, he implicitly is telling them to turn to something. Right? The promise of the gospel is, I've got something better. You're worshiping something useless. I've got someone useful. I've got someone real. I've got someone stronger. Something that can heal your soul like it healed this man's leg. That's the offer of the gospel to pagans like this. And it's the offer of the gospel to us. What are the useless things that you are pursuing? What are the vain things that you're chasing down and that you're holding on to with a white knuckle grip? I invite you to let go of those things. Turn from those vain things to the only one who can satisfy, to the only one who can make whole and make new. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that your good news, your message of salvation is not just for religious people. Uh, it's not just for people who know the Bible. It's for people who don't know the Bible, like the people in Lystra. Because you are the God, not just of the Jews, but of the whole world. And Jesus came to die, not for 
just for good religious people, uh, but for bad religious people as well. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would turn from those vain things and trust in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand uh, and respond to God's goodness in saving us by singing the doxology and giving our gifts to him. Uh, There's an offering plate out in the gathering area if you're giving in person, or if you want to give online, you have that option as well. Uh, Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of you. And God's people said, Amen.